Hello and good evening and welcome to another episode of Religion, Regimes and Refugees and the Multicultural Mess and Secular Scam. Thank you so much for joining me again today. I really appreciate your presence and I thank you for your time and your loyalty to my podcast. I know you listen to it every single day. A lot of you, some listen to it on the weekends, but it's fantastic. So today we're going to change the course a little bit and we are going to read something, review a book. Um, I bought this book online and it's fantastic, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you would buy it. I'm going to read you a little essence of it. It's called The Astronomical Code of the Rig Veda by Subhash Kak. So Subhash Kak and The Astronomical Code of the Rig Veda. Absolutely fantastic. I would suggest you buy the book if you do have it or similar books like it. And I will read you a couple of chapters today. We'll do just one chapter or maybe half a chapter. Um, We're going to do the context of Vedic studies. Okay, very interesting. Um, And I will read a little bit of it to you. So the Vedic literature provides its own exegesis. Uh, The details of the ritual as well as the philosophical basis are found in the Brahmanas, the Aryanakas and the Upanishads. Further explanation is provided by the Bradevta, the epics and the Puranas. The Brahmanas, the Nirukta, the Brahadevta, and other texts show how the linguistic perspective informed traditional analysis. The triadic representation is used in a recursive fashion to describe the unity of the fundamental ground substance. The deities are described as belonging to either Agni, Indra, or Surya, paralleling, paralleling the dis- division of the physical universe in the, into the earth the atmosphere and the sky, that these are more linguistic devices to describe a unity is clear by the assertions such as in Indra are contained Prajanya, Rudra, Vayu, Brahaspati, Varuna, Ka, Mrityu and God, Brahmanaspati, Manyu, Vishvakaram, Mitra, Kishtrapati, Yama, Traksya, as well as Vashtoshpati and Agni. Um, Yaka, Yaka's Nerukta is one of the continuous series of commentaries of which Sayana, the 14th century commentary, is best known. Yaksha speaks of 17 predecessors with conflicting explanations. Um, Yaksha and later commentators did not know the astronomical basis of the Vedic system. The past century saw resurgence in interest in Vedic scholarship, thanks to the work of Dayananda Saraswati, um, Arubanda Ghosh, and these scholars represented original yogic interpretations of the hymns, which allowed them to see a unity in Vedic knowledge. Their work was useful, useful, corrective, as it focused on questions that have been ignored in academic circles. The analysis in the academic world is informed by the philosophical attitude shaped by ideas in physics and biology. The Western academic um, 
scholarship on the Vedas are deficient was deficient because it was mired in mechanistic approach of the 19th century, uh, which was later superseded by relativistic and quantum mechanical views that present a holistic view of reality. The older Indian tradition of Vedic analysis appears to be the constant with new ideas in physics, as it's based on the notion of interpreting interpenetrating unity. Other aspects of the Vedic system are concerned with information and meaning, again in harmony with newer scientific disciples. disciplines. Western Vedic scholarship is limited by its rejection of the Puranic data. The work of Dayananda and the Arya Samaj school also suffers from this shortcoming and from literal rendering of the doctrine of non-human origin of the Vedas. Uh, 19th century Indologists were influenced by the certain attitudes that were inimical to the spirit of free inquiry. There were those who wished to fit Vedic chronology with straitjacket of the biblical chronology, which colored their interpretations. There were others who saw stages of human evolution as at work in different layers of Vedic literature. Most dismissed the notion of underlying unity because such an idea had not yet arrived in physics. The gods were viewed in anthropomorphic terms. When scientific discourse changed, there was no corresponding revolution in the academic Vedic exegesis. The 19th century academic was preoccupied with a classification of phenomena in a naturalistic manner. Although this attitude was fruitful in some fields, it is, its use in Vedic studies did damage to academic discipline. There was no attempt to find the grammar behind the Vedic view. The lacking, lacking this grammar, school, scholars found contradictions in the text. So Rudolf Roth, one of the first major European Indologists, could see anything more than all religions, lyrical poetry in the Vedas. A. Kun and Max Müller sought parallels between Vedic and Indo-European uh, mythologies, but with a proper understanding of the Vedic system. Abel Bergein saw Vedic gods as anthropomorphic masks for forces of nature. He found an identity between the cosmic, the ritual, and the moral order spelt in the Vedas. Richard Pischel and Karl Gerner argued for the interpretations within the context, but they saw a primitive nature religion in the system. Hermann Olsberg followed an evolutionary approach, as did A. A. MacDonald and A. B. Keith. In recent years, the philologist Jan Gonda stressed the need for a thorough reassessment, yet his work remained narrow in its vision. There was no attempt to study the architecture of the Vedic text. Some scholars see in the Rig Veda a sequence of attitudes going back to the most primitive in human origins. Style harkens back to the very development of the language of language in his theory that, uh, that mantras are like bird songs and they represent the beginnings of language. The parallels between Vedic systems and European myths are examined by Dr. Damsel who speaks of a tripatriate conception of the Indo-European society into priest, warrior, and cultivator, rejected, uh, reflected in the triad of gods 
in Agni Indra, Visvedeva in India, or Jupiter, Mars, and Crimes in Rome. The religious and political sovereignty is viewed as a dual category of the jurist and the priest, the Brahmin and the Flamin. The magician king, Raja Rex, this approach is based on categories of traditional Vedic analysis. Although a useful view, it has not investigated thoroughly. Comparative mythology is constrained by the straitjacket of chronology, of dispersal of Indo-European people that came, became popular in the 19th century. It is assumed that the Vedic texts represented literature that arose soon after the disp dispersal from the homeland. The Aryan invasion myth, my dear friends, I'm sure you're going to love this. Uh, we often present a brief view of the controversies about Indian chronology, which are, which are a case study of in the sociology of the rise and fall of paradigms. Max Müller is credited with the um, popularization of the theory that nomadic hordes of horse-riding Aryans invaded India in mid-2nd millennium BCE, subjugated the oral original inhabitants and imposed Aryans invaded India in the second millennium BCE, subjugated the original inhabitants, and imposed their culture and language. This theory explained the fact that the languages of North India and Europe belonged to the same family, and the myths of Indian and European world have much in commonality. Um, this theory assumed as expansion of the Indo-Europeans in Europe at about the same time as the supposed invasion um, into India. The epoch of the mid-2nd millennium BCE was based on the evidence that references to the Vedic gods dating back to this period exist in Mesopotamia and Turkey. It was assumed that there are records of the Aryans on the way to India from their original homeland. While this theory provided an explanation within the framework of the then emerging field of archaeology, it suffered from serious weakness. The context in which the word Aryan was used was wrong because this word in Indian literature refers to the culture and not race or linguistic background. It has no explanation for why Vedic literature has no knowledge of the regions in outside India. Uh, astronomical references in the Vedic texts allude to events of the 3rd millennium BCE and Indian sciences, literature, and philosophy are advanced, indicating a long tradition of scholarship. More importantly, archaeological sites of the Indus, or the more aptly named Sindhu Saraswati tradition, which go back to at, at about 8000 BCE, show cultural continuity with later Indian civilization. If one could explain the cultural continuity by arguing that the invading Aryans eventually adopted the culture of the original inhabitants, then how is one to explain the fact that they are imposed, they impose their language? Among other problems with the invasion theory was the fact that um, that Indo-European populations in the Near East show great stability with regard to location. The regions where the inscriptions in the text of the Vedic references have been obtained still have Indo-Iranian populations. Wherever there have been movements of people and languages, densely populated regions have maintained their ethnic and cultural continuity. 
considering that India was one of the most densely densely regions before the 3rd millennium BC, how did the ethnic profile of the vast region change so fast? more recently, the date for horseback riding has been pushed back to earlier than 4000 BCE. So that even if the questionable assumption of the host providing the impetus for the expansion of the Indo-Europeans is accepted, it invalidates most of the crucial details and invasion models. Once the theory of host riding invaders took root, any evidence that went against it was ignored and brushed aside as being ambiguous, ambiguous, not asked. Sorry, ambiguous. Questions about process underlying the hypothesis were not asked. Some bands of invading people cannot completely overwhelm the original languages of a huge geographical area without evidence of a break in archaeological record. If the invasion was massive, what was the original location of these people? And what made them leave their supposed homeland? What process were at work that the homeland produced an explosive population growth that compelled its inhabitants to seek fortunes elsewhere in large numbers, so as to linguistically conquer a most, a most densely populated region? The proponents, under pressure from conflicting evidence, modified their hypothesis to form that is unfalsable. Thus it claimed that the Indo-Aryans started arriving even before the Harappan civilization, but they came in large numbers only in the 2nd millennium BCE. In other scenarios, it claimed that the Harappans may have their Indo-Aryan but most pre-Vedic may have been Indo-Aryan, but they were pre-Vedic. Some others have it axiomatic that the Harappan culture is non-Aryan. What is being uh, negated by the accumulated evidence is not the idea of a homeland, but the dispersal taking place in the 2nd millennium BCE. Um, according to one theory, the likely era for dispersal is at least 6,500 BCE because that seems to be the epoch when farmers when, when farming appeared in India and India and Europe and the technology and surplus wealth then served as the vehicle that led to the expansion. Um, prior to that the population density was much lower in in both these areas and thus the new group displaced earliest inhabitants. During such an expansion, there was an intermarriage with the local populations and explaining the racial diversity in the Indo-European people. A quick conquest implies that takeover of an elite group which does not displace original culture and population. A small population elite ruling a large area isolated from the culture of its own people will adopt the culture and language of the host population um, observe that the prosperity of a region will draw immigrants from elsewhere. Um, the process underlying the transfer of culture and language race are bound to be more complex and intricate than any simple model presupposes. So there's a lot in this. I will let you read it yourself. Um, there's something here that I wanted to let you know also. Some have argued that the peculiar complex of intellectual and political attitudes current in Europe are responsible for ascending 
uh, ascendancy of the invasion theory. The discovery of ancient Sanskrit literature first led scholars to assume that the regions of the Himalayan um, ranges was the homeland, which was based primarily on the prior priority of Indian literature. In the 1860s, physical anthropo anthropology was pressed into service by the new generation of scholars to argue that the original homeland was Europe on the assumption that the authors of the Indian texts were light-skinned blondes. In truth, the 19th century European scholars did not conceive a region outside Europe as having high, having created a high civilization centuries before their own. There was also an attempt to compress the chronologies of the ancient world with framework of biblical chronology. There was a linguistic error in giving racial connotation to the word Aryan, although it had no implication in Sanskrit. Some compared the supposed invasion of India with the conquest of the Americas by the Europeans, but they did so ignoring fundamental differences between the two. Europe of 500 years ago was densely populated unlike the steppes of Central Asia 3,500 years ago. European expansion was imperial in design, impelled by capitalism and missionary zeal, which was quite unlike the Indo-Aryans. It was forgotten that in regions where the American Indians were densely populated and where they did not suffer genocide, the Indian languages and cultures have survived. Um, no such pre-Aryan culture is to be found in the valleys of the Ganga and the Yamuna of the Punjab. In the past couple of decades, new evidence from the archaeology and literary sources that compel the proponents of the invasion model to modify their assumptions. The continuity between the Harappan and late art and religion um, is now explained by a wholesale adoption of the Aryans from the previous culture and civilization in the minutest of details with regards to symbols and with words suitably trans translated. This position is similar to that of the believer in the creation signs who claims that God placed on earth at the same time not only man but also fossil evidence. In the absence of any archaeological um, evidence to support it, the theory of invasion of the Aryans is a myth. The Brahmi script evolved out of the Indus or Saraswati script of the 3rd millennium BCE. Researchers uh, on the earliest Indian geometry shows that we must reopen the question of dating the sutra literature. Um, Seidenberg argued that the late dating of the Sulba Sutras and the commently uh, the other sutra texts was prompted by the attempt of the Indian geometry at as following the rise of Greek geometry. His demonstration that the Satapa Brahmana, which is conservatively dated centuries before earliest Greek geometry, itself contains Indian geometry, reopens the question. Geological studies in, uh, indicate that Saraswati River dried up about the close of the 3rd millennium BCE. This also calls for a revision of the chronology of the Rig, Rig Veda, since the Vedic people are settled mainly in the valleys of, the, of that river. The epoch of the influx Indo-Europeans into Europe is being pushed back to the 6th millennium BCE. 
According to one model, the expansion into Europe was a result of the introduction of farming, which made it possible for families of larger to be larger, resulting in new settlements and intermarriage which, uh, with the native inhabitants. There are other models of expansion in the Proto-Indo-European era is dated to 4500 to 2500 BCE. But the model has conflicts with the astronomical evidence from the Indian texts. Going still further back, research in genetics has led to the view that modern man arose in Africa about 200,000 years ago, and that they migrated to India about 90,000 years ago. I, I'm sorry to interrupt over here, but it, it's really ridiculous, but I'm laughing my lungs out. Um, this research is based on advances in studies of mitochondrial DNA inherited through the mother and Y chromosome, inherited by male and the father. In this view, secondary migrations originated from India about 50,000 years ago, continued in different waves. During a, a break in the glacial activity where deserts turned into grasslands, people headed northwest into the Russian steppes and then onto Eastern Europe as, they, as well as northeast through China and over the submerged Beijing Straits of America. Um, the Indo-European context, I'll go with that. We, um, the summary of influential views on Indo-European Indo problem, the last ice age in Europe ended about 8,000 BCE, when the glaciers started, or should I say about 12,000 years ago, uh, the glaciers started retreating northwards. The earliest farming communities in Europe were to be found in Greece around 6,500 BCE. And by 3000 BCE, most of Europe, expecting the extreme north, was occupied by farming communities that represented different ethnic and linguistic groups. It is argued that copper and bronze met metallurgy was established around 4000 BCE and 3000 BCE, respectively. These technology advances led to an increased trade and surplus leading to certain commodities becoming stronger than others. Around 2000 BCE, a kingdom with a literate bureaucracy emerged in Crete. Uh, in another 500 years, we see the rise of the Mycenaean um, civilization in Greece. Iron works on a significant scale is seen in, in Greece and southern Southeast Europe around 1000 BCE. With the development of archaeology, pottery and types and other cultural complexes were studied as evidence of the expansion of Indo-Europeans. Um, God and Child in 1926 suggested that Proto-Indo-European culture was characterized by graves covered with red ochre and surmounted by a mound or kurgan. This theory was expanded by the others who claimed that the Indo-Europeans expanded into Europe in a late Bronze Age aided by horse-drawn chariot and war horse. More importantly, Marija Gim Gimbutas suggested in her Kurgan theory that homogeneous Kurgan culture on the Pontiff and Volga steppes characterizes the Proto-Indo-European culture. That it was widespread in the East Europe, in Eastern Europe, at the end of the Copper Age, 
in his view, in this view, Proto-Indo-Europeans is assigned the period 4,500 to 2,500 BCE. Um, the situation of Indo-Europeans in the East have not been thoroughly analyzed as the one in the West. Often scholars who generalize from the European evidence to Indo-European model had limited understanding of Indo-Iranian situation. Most linguistic evidence marshaled by these scholars was based out on Sanskrit and independent linguistic data from Prakrit languages was unavailable to them. The use of Sanskrit evidence is hampered by the assumption that the analysis of this evidence should not be on Vedic models of knowledge. A recent analysis of the Indian evidence allows us to find the independent arguments that have been bearing on general Indo-European question. Uh, linguistic clues to, early, uh, to the early society. Sacrifice. Sacrifice is central to Vedic thought and it implies a rebirth through transcendence. Such a rebirth is possible because the Atman which is the metaphysical energy, is in brackets, which is my adding, is taken to have potential to discover all knowledge. Symbolically, the identity, the Atman, the uh, equals the Brahman, is proclaimed in the Mahavaikyas of the Upanishads. It is because of this central meaning that the sacrifice is symbolically represented as the death of the previous self. In the Vedic ritual, the notion of sacrifice is given powerful symbolic meaning. The permanent is sought since the living must eventually meet death. In early Vedic ritual, the Yagamana, the patron, was to find his true, pure self by various offerings and gifts, sim symbolizing various parts of the body to the priest. For the priest, therefore, the acceptance of the gifts came as with symbolic danger. In classical system of ritual, the patron symbolized um, the universe and he was identified with Prajapati, the cosmic man. The ritual represented rebirth of the patron as pure and immortal being. Expectedly, the patron underwent purificatory ceremony before the beginning of the ritual. Uh, in Latin, the word sacred or sacca which means carries not only the meaning of being consecrated to the gods, but also affected with the ineradicable pollution uh, worthy of veneration and evoking horror. Due to this background, the word sacrifice, which properly means to make sacred, also implies to put to that. In, the Greek, in Greek, the word hagios represents sacredness. The cognate in Sanskrit is yag, which is worship or praise. From yag also yagna or sacrifice, since the transcendence is obtained from praising, obtained by praising or recognizing the already existing potential within. The sacrifice was performed in India as a fire ritual, where fire or agni symbolized time, and Greek also had fire ritual. Thus, as the Indian was enjoined to maintain a sacred fire, the Greeks had the fire of the Prytania and the Romans that of Vesta. That is really, really interesting if you didn't understand this part. In Latin, the word for sacred, I'm repeating, is sacer, S-A-C-E-R. 
which also carries not only the meaning of being consecrated to the gods, but also affected within radical pollution, worthy of veneration. Due to this background, the word um, sacrifice, which properly means to make sacred, also implies to put to death. So this is a Latin concept, sacrifice, which could mean to put to death. In, um, okay. Uh, in Greek, hagios, or hagios, H-A-G-I-O-S, represents sacredness. That means also could be put to death. The cognate in, in Sanskrit is yag, okay, which is worship or praise. But yagna or is, is about worship, is about praise. Worship means uh, balance, uh, realignment. Um, meditation to realign that's what it means you're meditating or performing uh um uh using the fire to, to perform um yagana realignment uh mantras you're using when you use um the fire you're using mantras and mantras is has magnetic has combination of syllables with magnetic resonance so you're using the magnetic resonance to realign so basically yagna is worship um, um, to realign it does not mean to put to death and the meaning has completely been twisted is what they're saying which is absolutely uh, incredible to have of knowledge because it's so wrongly in in uh, translated so this book also says this chapter also says talks about the law um, the Sanskrit the concept of order is represented by Rita RTA which in Iranian is Arta R A R T A one sees the same root AR in Latin R artist disposition talented and a slightly modified form in, in ritus or rite. The word dharma represents law in terms of custom or usage in Sanskrit, which comes from the root dhar, d-h-a-r, to hold. Another word for what is established is dhaman, with the root dha means place. In Greek, we have the tamis, which means foundation. Uh, briefly, I'll talk about um, kingship. Uh, the Sanskrit Raj and the Latin Rex represent king. So when Queen, uh, King Charles, uh, uh, King Charles is um, uh, his new symbol, King Charles III, it's C-R. You say, but what is R? Rex. Charles III and then Rex. Rex means king in Latin. And Elizabeth, uh, Her Majesty the Queen, had ER. ER means Elizabeth Regina, which Regina in Latin means king, queen. The feminines are Rajini and Regina. So the Latins, the, the Sanskrit Raj and the Latin Rex represent the king. Uh, their feminine is Rajini and Regina, comparing with Greek verb origo, which means to stretch out. One concludes that Raj originated 
originally meant a king who drew the rules. Um, the ancient king was not a tribal leader, but rather one who oversaw the enforcement of the law. The Mahabharata says that the king upholds dharma, not any specific classes, but of all classes. Iran saw empires and a new word shahan, or shah, king of kings, was coined based on Iranian analog of Sanskrit shatra, royal power. Uh, one may contrast it, it with the Sanskrit sapta or powerful by himself. Uh, quickly, I'll go to the four cycles. No, I won't go to that today. Um, it is long. So I'll just go to society quickly. Paralleling the tripatriate tri division of physical universe into the sky, the atmosphere, and the earth. The, society, the universe of society was similarly divided into three parts, and the original three parts were expressed in the essence of the transcendent, the royal, and the foundational. So Brahmana expresses the transcendent, Brahman, or the sky. Rajayanya expresses the royal Raj, or the atmosphere. Vaisya um, expresses the foundation, the vis, the people of the earth. The word, um, the word Brahmana is often mistranslated into priest as the common knowledge to anyone with Indic traditions. A Brahmana who performs rituals for others is not considered a real Brahmana. Priestly functions are fulfilled by non-Brahmin individuals and communities have their own ritual function, functionaries. The Rig Veda of further introduce a further category with respect um, uh, with respect to the other three categories were defined. The Puru Shashtukamhim of the Rig Veda speaks of how the first three classes were born from the mouth, the arms, and the thighs of the cosmic man, and it's odd that the Shudra was born from the feet. This addition represents an attempt of obtaining further symmetry. Thus is the true reality that transcends the sky. There is ground in which the Vaisha reside. That this change occurred very early is established by the fact that the Iranian society was also divided into four classes that parallel more or less. The functions from Vedic classes, Greek traditions will also, will also speak of fourfold division of the Iron. Ionian society into farmers, artisans, priests, and guardians. Plato, no doubt, um, drawing in on his tradition, also divided society into four classes. Um, the Iranian, the Greek, the tradition suggests time period much after the early Vedic tripatriate. Um, the parallels between Raj and Brahman divide in India and the corresponding Rex Flamin divide in Europe. Likewise, there is a parallel between the Indian Gandharavas' um, mythical fleet being with hoss-headed, who were musicians, and the Luperici of the Romans. Uh, their roles... Um, in the following words, uh, the roles are represented in the following words. They are opposed also to the innermost purpose. Uh, Flamians and Brahmins are the guardians of the sacred order. Luperici and Gandharva are the agents of a no less sacred disorder. 
One is static, regulated, calm. The other is dynamic, free and violent. Uh, and it's precisely because of this inherent, inherently explosive nature that the latter cannot remain dominant for anything more than a brief period of time. The time it takes to purify and also to revivify and to recreate the former in a single termulous eruption of energy. Uh, so my dear friends, uh, that was really a small, small bit. I'll try and read some more to you later on. Um, uh, maybe tomorrow or the after tomorrow. It is absolutely fantastic. I would suggest you to buy the book. I think the last one, the society telling you the Brahmana, the Rajanya, uh, and the Vaisya is, is really a, a, a real translation instead of uh, the European translation of use of these words for caste. It's absolutely disgusting. Uh, but the translation was completely distorted to suit their vested interest. So anyway, there is a lot in this book. There is um, chronology of the Vedic text. There's Vedic history. There's the Bharata War. Um, I would love, love, love to read all of it to you. My God, it is incredible. Um, astronomy of the Fire Altars. I will try my best to read a lot to you. Um, but it's, it's, it's too much to read. Uh, but I would suggest you, my dear friends, uh, to, to, uh, to buy it. It's called the Astronomical Code of the Rig Raiders. And, um, I will post a link on my webpage. Uh, so in the meanwhile, I thank you very much for your time. This is, it's been a wonderful episode. Um, to speak to you about because I love reading history. I love knowledge of the Vedic um, of the Vedic uh, civilization to rise up above to heal because this is the only thing that is going to heal you. And until we don't heal, we cannot move forward. So thank you very much for your time. I hope you have a great day, and cheers and stay safe.